Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. All right, good morning, good morning. How are y'all? Thank you, Kylie. Good morning, everyone else. All right, all right. Thank y'all for being here. My name is Dallas. Uh, Neil asked me to preach today, and uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but whenever a, a pastor asks you to preach and he's giving you the pulpit for the for that Sunday, it's kind of a professional courtesy. You ask him, "Hey, is there anything you want me to preach about that day?" And I can't speak for the for the other guest speakers, but I'm always hoping he says no, right? <laughs> I'm always hoping. He's like, no, it's wide open. Preach on whatever you want to preach. That way I can preach on something I know really well, something I've taught before. Being a kid's pastor, I'm hoping you know, I can preach about the armor of God or the fruit of the Spirit or something like that, something that I know, right? So I asked Neil, I said, is there anything specific you want me to preach about on Sunday? He said, how about the uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know, I've read about the Holy Spirit, I've felt the Holy Spirit, absolutely, I know, but I never preached about it, right? It's a very heavy subject, there's a lot in the Bible about it. A pastor can preach about it literally all year long and not have enough to say about it. It's kind of a weighty subject. And speaking of the Holy Spirit, I want to ask you all a favor today. I didn't do this with the previous service, I'm going to ask you all this. So whenever I come up to preach, I always ask the Holy Spirit, like, just like fill me and let it just pour out on the people. And I always come up and I feel like, okay, I'm going to roar like a lion, right? Like I'm going to, I, I hear these old pastors preach and I'm like, man, I want to preach like that, man. Those guys are on fire, right? So I, I get up here and I feel like, okay, roar like a lion. And I'm like, meow, you know, like, <laughs> like I don't, I kind of throttle the Holy Spirit, right? So I'm going to ask y'all a favor. Here's what I want y'all to do. I want y'all on the count of three, to just say, go for it, all right? Ready? One, two, three. Go for it! Perfect. That's awesome. Yeah, there we go. Rawr, right? All right. It's a little moment of transparency there. Now, I'm going to ask you a favor, too, though. Y'all don't throttle the Holy Spirit today either, right? If y'all are feeling it, y'all go for it, all right? And we're going to go for it together, all right? Here we go. All right. The Fire Bible says this about the Holy Spirit. The one true God is a single being who has revealed himself in three distinct but interrelated and completely unified persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This means that the Holy Spirit is God, one and the same. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no creation. There would be no universe. There would be no human race. There would be no Bible, no New Testament, and no power to effectively communicate the message of Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no way to have faith in God, no way to experience spiritual salvation or renewal, and no way for the followers of Christ to live in holiness. In fact, there would be no Christians at all. 
And I certainly wouldn't be up here today to preach about the Holy Spirit if there was no Holy Spirit. Amen? So this is heavy. There's a lot of scripture in this message. I know you're thinking, well, Dallas is preaching. We're going to get out of here in 20 minutes, but it's not the case today, y'all. Hope, hope y'all are comfortable. With the Holy Spirit's help, I'm going to walk you through what having the Holy Spirit indwelling in you means and how it will empower your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just send the Holy Spirit now to just to just um, come through me, to, to just pour out into this room. God, let the Holy Spirit just be here. Let the people be able to receive it and hear it and let it move in their hearts. Let the Holy Spirit just now just be planted in them and just move powerfully today in this message. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let us stand for the reading of the word. <clears throat> this is Exodus 12 through 18. Exodus 33, 12 through 18. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. God says back to Moses, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses says back, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray for you, show me your glory. You can have a seat. All right, so let me set this one up for you. This passage is a conversation happening between God and Moses. It's taking place immediately after Exodus 32, uh, where Moses has come down from the mountain to find the Israelites worshiping the golden calf. And to me, this conversation is a very personal conversation. It's a very intimate conversation between two people that know each other very well. God is telling Moses to leave Mount Sinai, and Moses is giving God some pushback. The first thing Moses tells God is that God hasn't done something that he has done. He says in verse 12 that God told him to take this people, but you haven't told me whom you are sending. In fact, in Exodus 33, 2, he says, God tells Moses, I will send an angel before you. Then he tells him later, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. He's telling him, I'm going to send an angel with you because of your disobedience and your stiff-neckedness. No, that's not right. Neck. Stiff. <laughs> stiff-necked. Yeah, man. He says he's not going to go with him because of his disobedience. And in three previous places in Exodus, before this conversation, you see that God has indeed told Moses that he will send an angel before him. In Exodus 4.19, then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's armies, withdrew and went behind them. In Exodus 23.20, it says, See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. In Exodus 32, 34, it says, Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. So it sounds to me like Moses either wasn't listening to God or he wasn't paying attention to what God was doing in his life up to that point. He was choosing not to hear what God was saying. I'm asking you today, are you paying attention to what God is doing in your life? 
Are you listening to what God is telling you to do? Then later in verse 12, Moses reminds God of the promise made to him and the Israelites. And he tells him, he reminds God, you said, you know my name and that you have chosen me, that I have found favor. You said you were going to take care of us. God had already shown considerable favor to the Israelites, yet they continued to not hold up their end of the bargain. They continued to disobey God in the midst of the miracles being done. How many times have you asked God to hold up, your end of, hold up his end of the deal, but you don't hold up yours? Have you ever reminded your spouse about a promise they made but didn't keep? How'd that go? Probably not well. It didn't go well when I did it. But God allows people to remind him of his promises because he is faithful and he will deliver. Then Moses kind of changes course in verse 13, and you see a little growth here in Moses as a leader. <clears throat> he says to God, let me know your ways that I may know you. Moses is saying to God, let me be more aware of your character. Let me know you better so that I may be a better leader and a better person. This is an important concept here, and I don't want you to miss it, all right? In a relationship between two people, the relationship becomes more intimate as the two people become more aware of the other person's nature and character. They both seek to know more about one another, and as that happens, the relationship becomes more intimate. In a relationship between God and a person, or between God and you, God already knows you the most he will ever know you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you better than you know yourself. The only person in the relationship that can know more about the other is you. You must make yourself more aware of God's nature, God's character, in order for you to understand how God sees you so that you may know yourself better. If you want a better understanding of who you are, you have to have a better understanding of who God is. Amen? So then, almost immediately, Moses goes back to about reminding God about things. He says, remember, these are your people. This is probably my favorite part of this verse because... This will explain. This is a direct counter to what God told Moses in Exodus 32, 7, okay? This is when they've come down off the mountain, and they're, and they're worshiping the golden calf. And this is, then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. Did you catch that? So Moses and God are coming down off the mountain, and they, and they, see, they find the Israelites worshiping the golden calf. And God's behind Moses. He's like, look at your people. Look what they're doing, right? So this reminds me, like, as a parent, have you ever had this conversation? Hey, the principal called, and they want to talk to you about your kids, <laughs> right? What we want to take away from this, though, is that God promised to make us his people, but it's only through the sanctifying work of Christ that we can be God's people. When we worship golden calves and when we do the things against what God has asked us to do, we belong to the people of the world. We are, once again, not holding up our end of the bargain. But then God is God and God and says God things and praise God that he does. He says, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. He tells Moses here that despite all the disobedience and the complaining, God still holds up his end of the bargain and agrees to travel with Moses and the Israelites. So does Moses say, OK, thank you, God. I really appreciate that. Nope. He says to God, well, good, because if you're not going, I'm not going. And how else can anyone know we are the people of God? Moses is again seeking the presence of God in all that he does and for the continued journey ahead. 
I think that this shows the humbleness of Moses to know that he needs God for the continued journey, but it also shows a boldness in Moses asking for God's presence to let him be set apart from the other people on the earth. For when we have the presence of God in us, we should indeed be set apart. We will look different, we will speak different, and we will act different. Not because we're trying to be different, but because the work of God is in us. The Holy Spirit of God is in us when we, when we are a, a Christian. In this passage, the word presence is not speaking to God's omnipresence. We know that God is everywhere all the time. But this isn't what Moses is referring to here. The Hebrew word used here is panim. Everybody say panim. panim. This word translates to face, appearance, or surface. And when applied to God, the word is used in terms of a perceived relational proximity or intimacy. I giggle every time I, I, I read this uh, phrase, perceived relational proximity. It just makes me laugh because I think about <laughs> like working this into a marriage counseling. I'm like, tell me about your perceived relational proximity or your intimacy, right? <clears throat> well, I just want to take a minute to explain this. So perceived relational proximity. This Bible is in close proximity to me. But it has to be a relational proximity. I have to open it and I have to read it and I have to get familiar with it. All right. That's what that relational proximity is. All right. <clears throat> In Genesis 3, 8, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence or the panim of the Lord. In Psalm 27, 8, David writes, your face or panim, O Lord, I shall seek. When it's used in Exodus 33, 11, it says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face or panim to panim as one speaks to a friend. We still use this term today to imply the importance of being face to face. An email, a text, a phone call or a Zoom call won't do sometimes. Both parties must physically be present to speak face to face to one another. It's more intimate. You can read the tone, the body language and the facial expressions when two people speak face to face. And when two people are speaking face to face, face to face, they are both saying to one another, you are important to me, and I made the time in my day to be present in this moment to speak to you. In the same way, Moses is saying to God, I need you, God. I need your presence. A stand-in won't do. Not an angel, not a certificate of God's approval. I need you, God. I need to be able to feel your perceptible, visible, immediate presence. And what does God say? He says, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he says, I will also do this thing of which we have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. God reveals his character here by showing Moses that his people are important to him, and that he will provide the panim, or his presence, to them so that they may continue their journey. I admire Moses here in this conversation, in the intimacy and face-to-face -face conversation with God. So how do we as Christians get to this place of intimacy with God? I'm asking. I'm asking. Shout it out. The answer is always Jesus. All right. That's, that's a, a joke in kids' church. They always raise their hand. Jesus. God wants this relationship with us. He wants to restore us to the relationship he had with Adam and Eve before the fall. He sent Jesus, who is God's physical, perceptible, visible, immediate presence, to speak face-to-face -face with us, literally. So that we may become more aware of God's character and God's nature. 
He sent Jesus, not as a substitute for him, but as his actual presence to lead, not from above or in front of us, but to lead with his presence among us. In all four gospels, when describing the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is described as a dove that descends on Jesus. I'm going to read all four of these from all four accounts of the gospels, because it's important that we understand what's happening here. This is what sets us apart. Okay, I can't like highlight that enough, all right? In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. That's Mark's account. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened up to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That's Matthew's account. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. That's Luke's account. And Luke's account, he was saying that Jesus was praying when the Holy Spirit descended upon him. John's account goes like this, And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Holy Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit of God came down from God to anoint the Son of God. Amen. This is what sets us apart as Christians. This is where the power is, the Holy Spirit. This act of giving from God is the plan for our salvation. The Holy Spirit was given to us through Christ Jesus. It was this gift poured out on the day of Pentecost when suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house that empowered the disciples that day and continues to empower his disciples today. Peter couldn't even convince Thomas that Jesus was still alive until he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But then when he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to preach to and convince 3,000. Amen? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit in every obedient believer in Jesus Christ is clearly taught in the gospel. The purpose of the Holy Spirit's indwelling includes at least seven blessings. Number one, the Holy Spirit makes us holy. Being made holy is called sanctification. When Peter promised the forgiveness of sins to those believers who would repent and be baptized, he added, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Immediately we are purified by Christ. This is called immediate sanctification. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to dwell in us, to continue to sanctify us. This is progressive sanctification. This makes us dedicated to God and fit to take our place among his saints or sanctified people. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we should always give God to thanks, 
Give God thanks for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 1 Peter 1.2 says, Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. The Holy Spirit seals our inheritance, number two. Another purpose of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is expressed in the words seal and pledge. The scriptures clearly identify this purpose. God reassures us that we cannot lose our inheritance in heaven by force. If we were to lose it, that would be because of our own willful stupidity. I'm going to say that one more time. If we were to lose it, it would be because of our own willful stupidity. We cannot lose our salvation accidentally. It cannot be taken from us. If we lose our salvation, it is a conscious, willful, stupid decision. God has given the Holy Spirit to us as a pledge or guarantee of the promise made. The same promise that Moses reminds God of in our verse today. Ephesians 1, 11 through 14 says, In him we have right to an inheritance. We were predestined according to the purpose of God who does all things according to the counsel of his will. So we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be devoted to the praise of his glory. In him you also heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. He is the pledge of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of God's glory. Ephesians 4.30 continues, And we do not grieve, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 2 Corinthians, Indeed, there are many promises of God. So in Christ we say yes and amen to God for his glory. And God is the one who establishes us with you in Christ. He has anointed us. He has put his seal on us. And he has given us his spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Number three, the Holy Spirit, Satan proofs our lives. The gift of the Spirit is not just a passive indwelling. The Spirit is active within us. He protects and promotes our heavenly citizenship and helps us on our journey. If you and I tried to withstand Satan on our own power alone, we would fail. Indeed, without his presence or his panim, we would be most vulnerable in the face of the powers of darkness. Satan is powerful and the leader of a host of demons and these dark and evil powers are against us. But whenever Satan attacks us, God is with us to help, and Satan cannot win. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Y'all see what I did there? I worked in the armor of God. So (laughs) something I know about. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Number four, the Holy Spirit strengthens our faith. The Spirit helps us to be strong and fruitful. It is through the indwelling Spirit in our faith that Christ dwells in our hearts. The Spirit strengthens our faith so that it is not weak, but empowered so that we can enjoy His loving fellowship. 
Ephesians 3 says, I pray that out of this glorious, that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. In that way, may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray also that you will be rooted and grounded in love. Thus, you may be empowered together with all the Lord's holy people. May you grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Worked in the fruit of the Spirit, too. (laughs) No laws against such things. And those things who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh along with his passions and lusts. In Romans, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Guys, this was a, these are scriptures. This, I paired a lot of scriptures out of this. It's important. The Holy Spirit is foundational to, to your walk with Christ. 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 14 says, What you have heard from me, keep as a model of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that he has entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Those verses make us confident that we are not striving alone. We have divine and supernatural help in the gift of the Holy Spirit. In times of temptation, we are able to resist the devil because we are not on our own. A greater spirit than ours is defending us. It is not only in temptation that the Spirit helps us. We have weaknesses besides those that lead to sin. These weaknesses are dangerous, nevertheless, because they hold back our spiritual progress and our value in the kingdom of Christ. This is true, for example, in seeking to understand God's truth and God's way more accurately, or in being in the service of God to some useful ministry. We are not able to achieve these fully all by ourselves. We need God's help. This is also true in our prayers. The Holy Spirit speaks our prayers. Most Christians experience difficulties with prayer. But when we talk to God, the Spirit is with us to intercede and be our helper. Romans 8, in the same way the Spirit joins in to help us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through groanings we cannot express. And God who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's holy people in accord with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. Ephesians 2, for Christ. For through Christ, both Jew and Gentile have access to the Father by one Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul talks about how essential it is that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Paul then talks about our glorious hope for the future, even though we have tribulations in the present time. Paul says, in the same way the Spirit helps our weaknesses. The Spirit dwelling in us is praying with us and for us, making our prayers far more effective than if we struggled on our own. Number six. The Holy Spirit schools us in our doctrine. If you and I only use our own thinking powers and try to fully understand the scriptures without any help from God, we would not understand everything, and we might even twist the scriptures because they contain some things that are kind of hard to understand sometimes. 2 Peter 3, 16-18 says this. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable people unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Y'all ever argued with anybody about what the Bible says? And they twist it and they use it uh, for their own destruction. They distort it. 
Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the, cra- in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. It is through the study of Scripture that we may become more aware of God's nature and God's character. The Holy Spirit was sent to dwell within us to help us further understand our Creator. Number seven. We're almost there. The Holy Spirit sharpens our gifts. Relying on our own ability and choices alone, we may not be very useful or pleasing to God. But when the Holy Spirit helps us, we can more wisely identify and employ the special gift or gifts that God has granted us. With this blessing, we can develop our gifts to serve God and His church effectively. Every Christian has some special ability, something they can do well. Peter says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom the glory and the dominion forever to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. First Peter four. Are we not extremely fortunate to have the Holy Spirit as a gift from God to sanctify us, to seal us, to Satan-proof us, to strengthen us, to speak for us, to school us on our doctrine and to sharpen our gifts? So how do we get the Holy Spirit? How can I make this a part of my life, you ask? Well, it's, all, it's easy. All you have to do is ask. It says right here in Luke 11, 9 through 13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now suppose one of, your fathers is at, one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? to those who ask him. So, <clears throat> this past weekend, I had the opportunity uh, to drive to Lubbock for a high school football playoff game uh, for my son. Go Crusaders. They won the game, got the win, so uh, we don't have to drive that far next week. But all along the way, as we're driving to Lubbock, uh, we drive through, through Sweetwater. I noticed all these uh, windmills out there, hundreds of them. Hundreds of them. And you see them. You see them up on the, on the you know, plateaus out there. And some of them you see, they're spinning, right? They're moving, right? right? Is, a, is a perceived, visible, immediate response. Is a, is a manifestation of something unseen when you see those blades moving. They're responding to the wind. They're harnessing the wind that God has given them, right? Then you see some of the windmills, and they're just stuck. You know, they're not moving, and I was wondering, I'm like, I wonder why those, those windmills aren't moving, you know? Do they, are they not in the right spot? Are they not in the right position? Do they not have a good relational proximity to the wind, right? right? Maybe they have some internal damage that's not, that allows them to not spin, to not harness the wind. Maybe they're just stubborn windmills, and they're like, I feel the wind, but I'm not going to move, right? And it got me thinking. How many people do we see like this? How many people are out there today? 
How many churches do we see like this, full of windmills, full of people that are stuck? They're not harnessing the Holy Spirit. They're standing out there, and, and they're, not, they're not harnessing what God has given them to empower their lives. They're not generating any power in their life. So if you're stuck today, I want you to come down. The prayer team's up here. I gave you permission earlier in the service to go for it today, right? Right. So let's go for it. If you're feeling stuck today, maybe you haven't even been put together as a windmill yet. Maybe you need to ask Christ into your life. And then you can start to harness the power of the Holy Spirit and generate some power in your life. If this is you, if you're stuck, right? If you need to change your position from this to this, If you have some internal damage that needs to be fixed so you can get your windmill going, so you can harness that power, I want you to come down, okay? I want you to go for it, right? Or maybe you're just being stubborn and you feel the Holy Spirit and you're just refusing to move. I don't know what's going on, but I know there's a lot of people that need to generate some power in their life through the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you're feeling that, I want you to come on down. I'm going to say a prayer. And if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling like you need to harness the Holy Spirit to generate some power in your life, I want you to come down, all right? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for allowing us to be here to fill the Holy Spirit in our lives, God. And let us just now harness the Holy Spirit that you have poured into this room, that you have put in these people's lives. Let us harness that power now to harness that Holy Spirit to generate some power in our lives, God. Thank you for allowing us to just come and worship you and praise you. Thank you for the plan of salvation to give us the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the salvation. Thank you for that gift, God. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.